The foreign affairs ministers of all three Baltic states are in Canada this week, Latvia, Estonia, and Lithuania, uh, including for talks today with their Canadian counterpart, Melanie Jolie, in Quebec City. Top of mind, of course, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and NATO's commitment to protecting those members on the front lines, the eastern flank, such as the Baltics, and other pressing issues such as food and energy security. Imagine just last week, Lithuania became the first European country to entirely end its reliance on Russian energy. I mean, entirely, no oil, no gas, no electricity, nothing. And it wants other European nations to follow suit to cut off the Kremlin's most vital source of income, a source of income that is fueling the war in Ukraine. So how did they do it? Well, joining me now is Gabrielis Landsbergis. He's the foreign affairs minister of Lithuania, and he uh, joins me now. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you for having me. I know it's hard to overstate, but for listeners who may not be familiar, just how much of an impact did Russia's decision to invade Ukraine 100 days ago now have on your country? Well, they reshaped the reality uh, that we are living in. Uh, you know, we tended to still believe that um, the environment is safe and the borders are, or at least should be, inviolable. And the people will have still have a right to exist uh, peacefully. And that's no longer the case, uh, especially for those countries who are so close to Russia. And in, as you know, you know, we share a 700 kilometers border with Belarus, which is also part of, you know, part of the aggression. And also with the Russian enclave, uh, Kaliningrad, uh, to our west. So the reality is truly different after the 24th of February. I know that you've been asking uh, in the past for uh, more NATO presence uh, on the so-called eastern flank, specifically in the Baltic nations. Uh, was that part of your discussions today? Did you did, did that come up with our foreign affairs minister today? Yes, absolutely. Um, because the, the conversation is still ongoing. Uh, with the, the main decisions about uh, NATO's posture on the eastern flank has to be made in Madrid in uh, uh, three weeks or so. Uh, so obviously, uh, it was a part of our conversations, and also because Canada plays a big role in uh, in defense of the of the Baltic states. And as uh, I've mentioned before, the situation, the security situation in the regions has changed dramatically, and therefore all three Baltic states very much are looking forward to uh, to NATO's uh, to change in NATO's posture in the region that would match uh, the Russian activities on the other side of the border. What would that look like? Uh, I gather it would be more of a permanent presence than a, than a rotating one. Well, you know, rotations are different. Uh, you know, it could be what is called a heel-to-toe rotation. That means that basically the troops will, would always be in, 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 in the Baltic territory. Uh, what is more uh, specifically needed is in the increased size of, of the uh, deployments in the Baltic states. Now we all have uh, battalion size uh, deployments. We're looking for the brigade size, so that's three times of increase. Then the change in strategy. You know, we would like uh, what is said. You know, of defense of every inch of a territory. That that to actually become a NATO NATO strategy. That we would deny a possible aggressor uh, any inch of, of of the Baltic territory. And also, what we're seeing happening in Ukraine. You know, the the territories are being shelled. And there's a lot of air activity. So we would like that to be also reflected, that NATO would deploy additional air defense units, uh, beat planes, beat uh, missile defense on the Baltic territory. So this is our uh, hopes for the Madrid summit. 
Are you hearing what you're hoping to hear from Canada and other allies going into that meeting? Well, honestly, we don't have very uh, specific answers as of yet. Uh, that I have to be honest with you that the level of ambition uh, from our allies fell significantly since the war started. Um, maybe, I mean, it's, it's difficult to tell, to tell why. You know, from, from our perspective, Lithuania has committed to uh, increase our defense spending from 2% of GDP that we had before the war. So now we are already not just committed, but we already have it in our budget that we're spending 2.5%. And we're even for the next year, we're looking beyond that. So, you know, we're doing quite a lot of steps, you know, to increase our defense. And we would like to uh, our allies to, to match it because we believe that this is the, probably one of the most vulnerable points in the whole NATO territory. Unfortunately, that has not met now with, a, it has not been met with a lot of enthusiasm from, from our allies. I imagine, you know, th- this invasion, it will always be front of mind for, for Baltic states, but are you worried at all by what you're seeing, what looks like specifically in America, but a bit of fatigue with the Ukraine crisis? Yes, this is, this is uh, truly um, a worry. Uh, we're seeing that the war w- would and then possibly will drag on for a long time. That means that Ukraine will have to be supported longer than expected. So, you know, one of the things that we've been discussing with uh, during our meetings here in Canada was also the commitment that is needed from the West that it's not, we won't be tied, we won't get tired, we will continue on supporting Ukraine. It's very important commitment uh, to, first of all, to Ukraine, but also to the, to the other countries, you know, be it Baltics or be it other countries who are watching this conflict very closely, understanding, you know, what are the uh, thresholds uh, of the Western uh, commitments and fatigue also. You know, when does the West get tired? When you look at what's happening, and we're 100 days into this war now, we know there are more and better weapons showing up soon. At least we've seen more commitments from uh, from Western partners of Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, is this a, still a war do you think Ukraine can win? I don't think that there's another, another possibility. Uh, Ukraine has to win this war uh, because any other... Uh, option would be just um, another war in the in the near future. That means that if Ukraine would be forced to lay down the arms, to seize the territory, to sue for peace under you know under Russian conditions, so that it gives Russian uh, Russians a victory. Uh, so from our perspective, so from our regional perspective, it is very clear that it just uh, it would just delay another war so when we talk about off ramps for vladimir putin that's certainly not language that you're in favor of obviously no uh you know we we did that in 2008 when he first attacked uh, georgia 2014 when he first attacked ukraine uh we always had this uh, i mean we as you know as a western uh community we had this idea that you know if we if we agree with the conditions that uh, were given to us by Putin, maybe he won't attack anymore. So it's it's the third time that he's doing that, and obviously that the I see no reason why he would not do that again, given the possibility. And now it's up to us to either to give him this possibility, what you call an off ramp, just basically not to return. Uh, home with uh, with a loss, but return to home with a victory and prepare for the new war. 
And of course, countries such as yours would be on the front line, of pr- presumably of any new Russian aggression after this. Exactly. This is this is the main worry that the next possible step of escalation from Russian side is is trying their luck in, in NATO territory, you know, because their their thinking and their rationale is uh, is different than we thought it could be. Uh, you know, they they went to Ukraine. You know, they they you know they got significant losses there. You know, they lost more than thirty thousand troops there. Uh, big big amount of tanks and and, and other um, equipment. So, but that still gives uh, us you know that that allows us to think that they might be thinking of something like that in in NATO countries. But maybe we will we won't react. Maybe we will be. St- too slow to react. Maybe we will would be so afraid of escalation that we would just seize parts of territory that they would be uh, trying to grab. So it is truly worrying what we're seeing and trying to figure out how that would work out in, in the possible future conflicts. I'm speaking with Gabriel Aslandis-Burgess. He is the Foreign Affairs Minister of Lithuania. He's visiting Canada this week for meetings. Uh, up next, Lithuania just announced that it had completely cut itself off from Russian energy. It's certainly uh, urging the rest of the European Union, of which it's a member, as well as a NATO member, to do the same. And we'll talk about how it managed that feat and how others can follow its lead after this. I'm speaking this half hour with Gabrielis landis Burgess. He's the Foreign Affairs Minister of Lithuania. He's in Canada this week visiting. Uh, he's been in Quebec City with our Foreign Affairs Minister, Melanie Jali, as well as other uh, representatives, Foreign Affairs Ministers from other Baltic states, uh, heading to Toronto for meetings uh, on uh, Friday. Um, it, it was quite the news story around the world, uh, Mr. Uh, Foreign Affairs Minister, the about Lithuania managing to completely cut itself off from Russian energy. Uh, that was a huge step. How did you manage it? Well, I think that the biggest step that we took was uh, cutting off the uh, gas and decoupling ourselves from, you know, from gas supplies from Russia. I should say that the, our story began in 2008. Uh, it was a, a, a peak, uh, probably when the Russia... Uh, truly played uh, their energy cards politically in Lithuania, increasing energy prices uh, that we were paying the, the highest price for our heating in the whole European Union. So then we decided that we will be building our uh, own LNG terminal. Uh, we finished building in 2014. And then basically we, uh, you know, we, we've entered the global market to, to purchase the gas from wherever we want. And, um, since then, we we've been doing that, and our prices dropped uh, almost fifty percent. If you know, if you count the year by year. Um, later, uh, when the first announcements appeared uh, that the war might be um, happening in in our region, uh, that Russia is preparing to attack Ukraine, uh, we started looking for a potential new contracts globally. You know, where could we buy? Uh, gas for our LNG terminal. So we pre-purchased several shipments of, of gas uh, even before the war. So when the war started, we were able to be the, the first ones to uh, completely cut off ourselves from Russian contracts and stop Russian uh, gas imports because we, we've been preparing for that. Um, it was easier a bit with oil. Uh, it was a general decision uh, made to, together with, uh, with Polish government so that we will be uh, no longer purchasing oil. We managed to start shipping uh, our oil imports from, from other countries. And the last step was that we're no longer importing our electricity with the help from our, our partners, uh, like Sweden and, uh, and, and Poland and, and others, where, who can provide us with uh, 
enough electricity for, for our needs. You said in the past that this is language Russia understands, that, that Putin may ignore a lot, but he doesn't ignore that because it really is the lifeblood of their economy. Well, absolutely. I think that, you know, he's been building uh, dependency, our dependency, Western dependency on energy exports from Russia for quite a while. So obviously for, for him strategically, he's been thinking that, you know, anything can happen. You know, he can attack uh, neighboring countries, but the West will not be able to decouple because we're so dependent. And uh, I think that uh, seeing countries decouple and now sanctions being implemented even on, uh, on oil imports, I think that's a, a huge blow to him and on his even worldview, I would say. This has come up at the European Union. Uh, there was debate over this. There was an agreement uh, that was released uh, recently. Uh, did it go far enough? And where is the wire countries? Did it go far enough, I guess? And why are countries mm-hmm. finding it hard to follow in your footsteps? Well, <clears throat> uh, the way that the European Union works, it's, um, it's that we need to find a, every time we make a decision, a difficult political decision, we need to find a consensus between the 27 countries. Uh, and uh, 27 ministers have to decide on what is the uh, what is a potential um, step forward. So the the last step that we took, the six package, so to say, which included part of oil imports, part of ban on oil imports from from Russia, was was particularly difficult. It took more than a month to debate it, and uh, you know quite large concessions have to be made upon the request of several member states. Uh, but still, you know. A, I can admit that it's it's too little, you know, it's it's much less than Lithuania could have wanted or proposed, uh, but still is somewhat a way a way forward. And uh, hopefully more steps will follow. And I'm still hoping that this is truly not the last one. Because we have seen, I mean, we, we understood, of course, that Hungary was standing in the way that some of the, uh, uh, there was a few others as well. But but do you see, for the big ones like Germany, do you see that happening? Are, are, do you think they'll be able to live up to these commitments that they've made? Well, I believe that there's a huge pressure from uh, in in every in every country. Uh, this is this is my where you know where people are truly asking their governments to cut off ties with Russia, energy, be political ties, uh, and uh, there is also you know green movement which has been prevailing you know through us through the, through the last decade, and it's also building up pressure like you know we're not only supporting Russia in the wake of war in Ukraine, but also. Uh, we're importing fossil fuels when we're supposed to go to go green. So I believe that this this pressure creates a momentum for for change and for positive change. As a last question, I don't know if this came up or not, but certainly in this country, there's been a lot of talk about us helping to provide Europe with the LNG it's looking for, such as countries such as Lithuania. Was that topic raised at all uh, in your conversations uh, in Canada so far? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Canada truly can do a lot uh, in assisting Europe in its in this uh, difficult, quite difficult time uh, when we're trying to decouple uh, from from Russia. And uh, I honestly believe that you know, in many cases, Canada has has proven time and time again that it's a really reliable uh, partner in, in Mexico. So energy is a very logical sphere where uh, Europe and, and Canada could cooperate. Gabriela Slendisburgers, thank you so much for your time tonight. Enjoy the rest of your stay in our country. Thank you so much. Thank you for the questions.